0: Welcome to the Catapult Ed Next Gen Podcast, a podcast to educate the next generation towards a successful financial future. Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to our latest podcast. Today, we are talking about various forms of investments um, through the share market, uh, listed investment companies, ETFs, separately managed accounts, all these acronyms that uh, get bandied around, Lick, ETF, SMA, and I'm joined by Tim Hasselum, our Portfolio Manager at Catapult Wealth. Welcome, Tim. Thanks for having me on, guys. What an honor. <laughs> yeah, no, it is an honor. This is a very important show. Um, these There are various ways, in, and over the last 10 years, we've seen an evolution of uh, various investment products that have... Um, that have come about and grown through um, the marketplace changing and demand for certain products changing as well and if you go back in history and cuz I'm bloody old now at the ripe old age of 47 though but uh, you know 20 or 30 years ago we was very the marketplace was very dominated by what we called unlisted trusts and a lot of older names you or well, names that still exist today but they have unlisted trusts like AMP perpetual um had had unlisted trust now. They to get in and out of those unlisted trusts to invest in them you had to fill out a prospectus and application form. You would attach a check to those um and send it off into the to the various fund managers and then they would process that check, then send you back a statement saying you've been allocated so many units. And and ultimately I guess it's evolved because there was so many Disadvantages of that method, I'll call it Tim. Um, can we just talk about those? I mean, oh, first and foremost, it's probably t- not that timely and inefficient, is it?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, when you go even further back, the original um, managed fund was a whole life policy that's that had right. an investment component, and people had no clue what was going on. And yeah. it was that transparency and um, hassle that really made the um, industry evolve, didn't it? So, yeah. Um, I think. I think when you think about the old school way of doing it. either direct shares, you do it yourself yeah, or yeah, basically it's a very cumbersome, slow process of filling out forms, posting it out. Mm. You want to make a withdrawal, you know, you'll get it in a month's time or so. Yeah. Um, something had to happen. And um, it certainly, it certainly uh, is evolving very quickly. Mm. Um, I think, I think especially young people, they, they really want to see what they're doing. Yes. And the old, you know, look, it's a perpetual
0: growth fund. That doesn't mean anything. No. Especially when it underperforms. Yeah. And they want to know what's under the hood. Um, Ultimately, the managed funds, though, the industry did come about because people go, well, I don't know whether I should buy BHP or Commonwealth Bank. And they didn't want that day-to-day hassle of trying to pick, be the stock picker, I'll call it, of that. And and they also were worried about buying one or two or four or five stocks that potentially um, didn't perform so well which means they weren't diversified and all those various reasons. So hence that that managed fund industry evolved and which took some of that responsibility away and then we had um, big professional fund managers looking after money on a well uh, risk-adjusted professional basis. Um, it was also um, the, one of the other, I'll call it, downsides and we particularly um, found this out through the GFC in 2008 – and before that we found out a little bit about this um, through the bond crisis in 94 and in September 11 in 2001, um, is that unlisted trusts can prove to be, particularly in 2008, very illiquid. So when people want to redeem their money, you've got to actually fill out a form, request a redemption request. That redemption request gets put in and then if the fund manager... Uh, doesn't have the cash to actually pay out the redemption they are then forced to sell assets to pay out the redemption now selling assets during the middle of a global financial crisis or in a property crisis is easier said than done and and ultimately can feed it becomes a it can feed on the selling and and create a massive issue so the outcome in 2008 and why we typically um, use listed products versus unlisted has been 2008 caused a lot of Heartache for people because funds got frozen, mm-hmm. and people, particularly retirees, got caught in frozen funds where they couldn't get any money out, they couldn't get any distributions out, and it wasn't serving their retirement purpose any good at all.
1: And most of them had no idea that could even happen. Correct. I mean, the, the property trust is obviously the the, the main example. There. Yeah. Uh, yeah, But yeah, I remember during that period, a lot of people were very distressed, even though they didn't need the money. No, the fact that this happened just really scared yeah. the bejesus yeah. out of it
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and. And that that liquidity um, issue was solved to some degree by these new products that we want to talk about today. And a lot of people out there listening will probably know names like Argo, uh, Australian Foundation Investment, which have been around, I reckon, for the best part of 100 years, believe it or not. Um, But they're typically what we call listed investment companies. And I guess I'm going to start there, Tim. Um, The the listed investment companies... um, they have been, I guess I'll call it traditionally, they're the first part, um, first thing that people look at. Who are they? What role do they play? And can you tell us a bit about them? Yeah. So
1: essentially a listed investment company is just a shell. Mm. It's a shell with a board of directors at the helm. Mm-hmm. And inside that shell, they can do what they want. They can invest in shares. They can invest in fixed interest. Mm. But the the kicker is that they can then list that whole company mm. and the shell of assets, mm. On the ASEX, on the exchange, mm-hmm. and so they they can basically go ahead and buy and sell shares and do whatever they want in the background. Mm. But what you get is a little parcel yes. that you can buy on the ASX very simply, very easily, mm. and um and essentially much cheaper than if you go directly in some cases. Yeah. Um, for for us, it's it's really it's really about diversification. Mm. So. If you've got ten thousand dollars and you want to you want to dip your toe into investment mm. to pr- appropriately diversify your portfolio you need mm. to spread it out quite a lot mm-hmm. and that's it's just not really possible with ten grand
0: yeah i mean so just while we're on that point Tim typically you'd need oh, i don't know anywhere from i think statistically that sort of fourteen to eighteen stocks to have at least a minimumly a minimum appropriately diversified portfolio yes,
1: yes and and then and when you do that well then the brokerage costs or the yes. transaction costs are really quite large yeah. Where um and and even at that GFC type situation where mm. there's a sell down, well if you were to try and sell down seventeen stocks at whatever your brokerage is per stock, mm. that can wipe you out. Yeah. Um, where a listed investment company, um, essentially because the shares are just traded buy, sell, you know, people can buy and sell them as they like. Mm. That doesn't actually affect the underlying investment strategy of the company. Yeah. They are completely unaffected. They, they can just putter away in the background. Yes. And they don't need to sell anything inside yeah. it. And that's the, that's the real benefit of a listed investment.
0: Company. I, I think Tim, you've hit the nail on the head. That is completely crucial. Um, so if I'm buying a thousand Argo shares, I'm buying it from someone who's selling a thousand Argo shares. It's not like me requesting a redemption in the underlying share portfolio. So, Argo, the company who are managing the portfolio, they don't care how many shares are traded on a daily basis. It mm. doesn't affect them at all, and and that is, that just doesn't force them to sell anything at bad times. So that's right,
1: that's no, right. And, no. and 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 then you have someone who's cool-headed, experienced behind mm. the helm, mm. and they can hold when it's time to hold and sell when it's time to sell, and that that is a humongous difference.
0: With the different list investment companies, the two I mentioned before, Argo and AFI, um, they, they typically have themes to them, Tim, don't they? So Argo and AFI are predominantly top 200 mm. ASX Australian listed companies. Is How transparent are they? How how do clients get to see what they hold and, and, and what they're up to?
1: Look, in a general sense, they, they report, not mm. so much as some other options we're going to talk about today. Yeah. But what what they do have is very accurate net asset values. Yeah. So what I mean by that is, with a managed fund, you don't actually know what's going on at all. Mm. Um, where um, listed investment companies sometimes are daily valued. Yes. So At a daily any point in time, you know what the actual value of that of, of the
0: portfolio is. Yeah. And,
1: and that being said, because it's a closed-ended company, mm. which which means that there's a, a finite number of shares. Mm. What that means is means is demand and supply can push up the share price above or below what its net tangible assets is. And when mm. I say net tangible assets, I mean total, you know, investments inside it minus debt and all that sort of stuff. Yes. So what if we pause the stock market? Let's say, let's say you have a stop, but you could pause time. Yep. And you could sell all those shares in one go. Yep. That's what the actual value of the company is. Today, yeah. And, and what we see, it is, it is very much a cycle in that most cases, um, listed investment companies are actively managed and exchange-traded funds are passive. Mm. And it does seem like in times of volatility and distress, that's when investors flock to active. That's when they want someone to really watch Manage. what's going on. Yeah. On the flip side, when things are going great and everything's going up and mm. everyone's a genius, why would you pay these high fees? Yes. And that's where you see a rotation out of active.
0: Yeah, into into more passive funds. It's interesting. So that that the terminology that you hear of quite a lot is um, premium or discount to NTA, to net tangible, but... Net tangible asset backing, so that's what you're referring to when the share price trades above the NTA, it's at a pre, it's called a premium, and if it trades below, which it can do from sometimes, yes, yes. is actually trading at a discount. Is the is the terminology that you might hear used in the marketplace,
1: and and essentially it comes down to faith, investor faith. Yes. So a good example is um, Wham Wilson yes. Asset Management. It's an absolute darling of mums and dads. Mm. Everybody loves Wham, mm. and as such, they buy it regardless of the net tangible assets, and so it. it Constantly seems to trade at above. a premium, yeah, and that's okay as long as it never mean reverts. <laughs> yeah. then it's fine. Yeah, but on the flip side, if you have a uh, a fund manager that has underperformed, uh, investors can sell off so well, but even though it's worth more, they're so scared that these fund managers don't know what they're doing. Yeah, they can absolutely stay at a at a loss at a discount, and, that, and that's yeah. and that's a case where you really need to be careful in that. Just because it's a big discount to NTA doesn't mean good no you need to sort of look at the history what have they done
0: so you might pay 90 cents for something worth the dollar but you might continually only get 90 cents back that's right for that's the right. dollar yeah. um yeah no i think that's a very good point um so listed investment companies as i said like argo and that they may hold 100 to 150 different stocks in the portfolio they diversify across all different sectors um they pay out dividends generally twice a year um, because they're companies too. It's worth me uh, noting, Tim, is that they generally pay at fully franked mm-hmm. dividends as well. Um, and as I said, you can always add to them too, and you can start small in them. If you have got five hundred bucks, I think is the the smallest amount you can register. Um, you can buy that and um, and invest them. We see a lot of that type of investing for grandkids or um, for children or just people starting out in the in, in the investment journey. Yes. Yep. Um, talking about the the investment companies then as compared to we'll probably move on to exchange traded funds. Um, what's what's and and I, I, I the rise and rise of exchange traded funds over the last ten years has been extraordinary. Um, do you want to talk about what an exchange traded fund is, Tim, and and perhaps why people are investing in them?
1: Yeah, so an exchange-traded fund is essentially like a, a packet. It's an empty packet. Mm. And inside it, uh, there's an investment strategy. Mm. So for the most part, it is um, index or passive. Yes. Um, and as such, they're lower costs. So generally, um, for example, the ASX 200, if you wanted to do the ASX 200 yourself, yep. you're going to have to buy 200 individual stocks, yep. pay brokerage and all of those, yep. and rebalance them daily if you wanted to actually track that index. Whereas in a very cheap, easy and efficient um, package, you can use an exchange traded fund that follows the ASX 200 mm-hmm. and you're going to get that exposure
0: for in some cases
1: 0.07% fee,
0: Yeah, which is very, very low. How would that compare to a? Do you know what the sort of the average fee on a listed investment company would be, Tim? and a more actively managed, is are they somewhere in the near one percent fees? Yeah,
1: or? I'd say the you is going to get like what point eight, yeah, and up to you know one point
0: five. So this is a tenth of the cost. That's
1: right. That's right. And and, th- and that's exactly the point. They're doing less. They're not doing anything. It's probably a computer program that's rebalancing it. Yes, but um, it's it's ve- it is going to be very close to what the ASX 200 does. Mm. Um, minus obviously the fee, and the, there will be a slight tracking error, mm. but it's pretty close enough. That's that's all you need to worry about.
0: So, so the index itself, you know, like you mentioned, the ASX two hundred. It, 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 you know, if the ASX two hundred goes up ten percent this year and uh, all and sundry, um, you, your your index fund basically matches that ten percent return, and, and vice versa. If the market falls, that's right. Um, you know, your your fund falls as well. Um th- there are a lot of different funds out there exchange traded funds. Do you want to give some examples of what the different themes are that the packets you call them are? Yeah.
1: yeah. Absolutely. There, there's probably there's probably an exchange traded fund for every market. So, you know, mm. the UK, the US, mm. Europe. Um, but then there's subsectors. So, if mm. you wanted growth versus value, so mm. companies that have higher growth potential versus, you know, dividends mm. and cheap. Um if you wanted technology, there's things like um hack and robo mm. There's healthcare stocks. There's um, mm. there's there's um you know, uh, consumers durable goods, mm. uh, all sorts. It's almost it's almost a, a fashionable thing where as soon as something becomes um, in vogue, a new one pops up. Yeah. And I will say just before this March sell off last year, what we were seeing a lot of was these um, high yield products. Yeah. So all these bond funds, emerging market bond funds, yeah. and that that does. Well, no, we don't recommend it. No. It does show you where, where the direction is going. Yes. Interest rates are low. People want high yield. And then the ETF uh, markets go, like, here you go, bang.
0: Here exactly what you wanted. Supply so. will meet demand. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I think that it's an interesting... ETFs are a good example of how you can get exposure to, to different markets without taking stock-specific um, risk. It's also great for international diversification mm. Um, you do have to be careful, though, with ETFs, Tim. I, I, I think the one thing I'll, I'll just ask you to touch on is it's really important to understand how the ETF operates in a sense that you want to know that it owns the underlying stock um, and it's not a uh, – I'll call it a, a hodgepodge of um, futures and options that sit below it um, – You know, I'm pretty big on make sure you understand still the ETF and how it operates. Yeah, that's right, and and that's
1: more, um, especially so in the international markets because you think about it, their exchange operates on a completely different timeline as ours. Yeah, so a lot of the times they use American depository receipts, which basically basically does track it. Yeah, but as you get further and further into the synthetic market, it does it does make it more confusing what you actually hold. Yes, and I'll use a good example of um, there's a ETF called Bear. There, B-E-A-R is B-E-A-R it? they're yeah. supposed to go you know in the opposite direction of um, what the market's doing so when the market goes up you know you're going to lose money but when it goes down you gain money that so is th- so that would
0: be just in a just quick, quick summary of that point though Tim so people who buy that are probably predominantly negative on the share they That's think right, share yeah. markets are going to fall you're betting against the market yeah, yeah. but
1: that is very complex. You really need to dig down in terms of what that is actually doing day to day, Yeah. and it's not a perfect replication of an opposite position. So,
0: so and then so that's a really good point. So some of these ETFs actually borrow money. It sounds like they, some of them could be geared in some way, yes, shape, yes. or form.
1: So, so when you think when you think about the cost of getting exposure to gearing, you know you go to your. Credit union, you, mm. you borrow against your house. That could take weeks <laughs> of filling out paperwork, proving that you're a real human, and yes, <laughs> I do have a job. I'm not a robot. Uh, that's right. <laughs> but when a lot of times when you choose to gear up, it's because this is something that's triggered it. Yeah. You want to act really quickly. Yeah. Well, a geared ETF does provide that, as yeah. well as some downside protection in terms of the maximum loss you can yeah. have as well.
0: So yeah. And I think it's uh, getting exposure, you mentioned before, to things like um, HACK, which is the cybersecurity ETF, I mean, there can be lots and lots of companies internationally that are in this space that people would never have heard of before. And, and it, it, it doesn't, it means that you don't have to go diving into every last stock to try and work out which is the right one to do. But if you believe that cybersecurity is a growing trend and a growing theme in this environment, then you can simply buy that one ETF and they'll take care of the rest.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's really hard. Like, if you want to get exposure to tech in Australia, there just isn't very many options, no. just due to the nature of it's all overseas, mostly the US. Yeah, that's where all the exciting stuff is happening. Yeah, and it just there are options here, but they're so limited. If you were to um, get exposure here, it's very concentrated to a few names. Mm. Um, so things like cybersecurity, that's that really is uh, overseas thing. Mm. Um, one thing that is probably prevalent into a lot of people's minds is that there is a bit of a cold war going on between the US and China in mm. terms of cyber security mm. and technology and AI. And instead of betting on who's going to win out of those two countries, mm. why don't you just do the whole index? Yeah, correct. One of them's going to win and yeah. you, you can invest in both. Yeah.
0: No, it's a very good point. And, and it's it is. It's, it's a diversified um way and a lower risk way of of trying to to uh, be involved in these markets etfs do you generally know then um tim you should be pretty they should be pretty transparent they won't tell you because they're not trading on a day-to-day basis but you'll know what they hold um they'll publish that
1: so you can see what the index is yes um, for the most part it's just the weightings that are going to change yeah yeah Um, and i'll i'll say also with with listed investment companies what they hold is their intellectual property. Mm. So even though they'll give you sort of lagging data on what that is, they don't want everybody else copying what they have.
0: No. So if they're out, they like a stock today and they're buy, actively buying it. That's why there's a bit of a lag. They don't want everyone to jump on the bandwagon. That's and right.
1: And that's what some some investors do. They they see some of these big funds like Magellan making a move and they say, ah, oh, I can see these guys are trying <laughs> to sell. I'm going to get in front of them <laughs> uh, and take advantage of them.
0: Yeah, no, it's a good point. Um, so ETFs are a, are a nice way of getting involved in the markets. The, the last um, or major way that uh, I want to talk about today was Uh, and it's probably this sector of the market's only evolved in the last five to seven years, is called Separately Managed Accounts or even another one is Individually Managed Accounts, IMAs. Separately Managed Accounts, I think, have a very, I think they're going to play a growing role in people's portfolios over the next 15 to 20 years. Do you want to just elaborate a little bit on how they are different to both licks and ETFs?
1: Yeah, so it's really important to note that Separately Managed Accounts Aren't as different as some people think. No. So what it is is you would have a, a platform of some sort. Mm. You can buy a separately managed account in whatever strategy you want. Let's say it's um a, a growth strategy. Portfolio. Yeah. And what happens is that separately managed account will literally buy those exact stocks in your name. Mm. So you hold them directly, beneficial own, and you can see exactly what's there and when it's um, when it's traded and what's changing. Yeah. Um. And there's certain advantages that one is obviously um disclosure. Yes. But the other one is the uh, tax tax consequences. Yes. So um when when you buy it is when you buy it, mm. whereas opposed to some other situations where you can buy a, a Vanguard ETF mm. and not sell it. And then you'll get a report every year saying, oh, here's your capital gains report.
0: Because they've traded within it. That's right. So yeah. they're, they're
1: still buying and selling in the background. And, yeah. and what's crazy is the situations where people buy an investment like this. It makes a loss. Then they've got a capital gains tax. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I've seen that before. That individual tax consequence is really good. Um, the other thing is that you can, in some situations, actually kick out the shares. So yes. you can go to them and say, look, I really like the portfolio. I don't want to pay your management fee anymore. And they will release that portfolio to you with no tax consequences. That's so right. They're essentially opening up the wrapper, letting out the shares, and then you can just continue on on your daily basis.
0: And and you shut off that relationship.
1: But what, what it isn't, it, it isn't control. And that's no. where you can see those stocks. And sometimes um, we've had clients call up and say, oh, I can see that these guys are planning to buy blur. Mm. I don't want that. Well, that's... You, you don't have control of that. No. You're either in or you're out. Yes. And so the, there's a little bit of confusion. It sounds it sounds very sexy to have an SMA. Yes. And it looks very fancy on the report. Yeah. But in terms of um, what it actually, it is still similar to the other structures.
0: Yeah. And I think that from from an, an advisor's point of view, the reason why a, a lot of clients do find SMAs uh, attractive is A, and I think Tim's mentioned the point around um, transparency, I think it's crucial, but It's also the transparency around seeing the exact dividend flow. You see the actual dividends go into your bank account. You see the franking credits. You see a lot more of the, you see the underlying transaction movements. Um, And so people feel much more in touch with uh, their underlying investment strategy and movement. Mm. And, Um, there's no hiding, there's, there's no big curtain between you and the investment strategy. Um, it is literally, you could look it up at any minute of the day and see what's there or what's not there. Yeah, that's right. right. Um, and, and you can nowadays, and there are literally dozens, if not hundreds of SMA providers, Tim, isn't there? So a lot of fund managers have got onto this trend and now are offering SMA services.
1: Yes, yes, um, and more so in the international space. Yeah, that, that does. I mean, when you think about it, Google, Amazon, Tesla—these mm. are all the companies that people want, mm. and and they like seeing it in their portfolio. It is mm. it is sort of very exciting. You can talk about your friends with it, mm. um, and, and usually international brokerage is very high. The cost yes. is usually very um very prohibitive,
0: prohibitive, and, yeah. and a
1: dra- drag on returns. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I certainly would you know i i remember years ago saying that etfs were going to be the next frontier for the financial planning industry i'd i'd argue now smas i think will evolve um and and i mentioned the word before imas imas are another layer again where if you have a, enough money and enough um investment funds to justify having what's called an individually managed account where you have a tailored investment portfolio just for you, but you are passing over. And I think the important thing to remember about IMAs or SMAs is that you are passing over control, day-to-day control of that stock choice. So if they want to sell something, they sell it. Mm. If they want to buy something, they buy it. But it's within a set of rules. And they have certain risk management mechanisms around that, which are really important to remember. They just can't go off mm. and do whatever they like. So um, there, there are certain guidelines around that. Um, how One of the things I'll, I'll probably ask about SMAs, you mentioned that they can, a client can get out of them just by just saying, hey, I want to move the share portfolio back over to my control. But I assume it's just as easy to say, "Hey, liquidate it all and and get me, give me a check back too." That's right. But, yeah.
1: I mean, you you might not want that to- tax no, consequence. That's in that right. Situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I must say, not all of them will allow that. Um, yeah. But uh, most of them will, and in certain circumstances, it might not be cost effective too. Mm. But uh, a, a lot of the times. It doesn't happen. No. Most people, it is either I'm going to change from one to another, yeah, which is a full sell, yeah. Um, and there are there are rare situations where you can actually um, take what you have and push it into an SMA. And yes. Once again, there's cost involved to that. So,
0: oh, take your existing share portfolio. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but. Um,
1: but but that's not something we really generally advocate. But it's, mm. just, it's just showing that they are flexible and they can do these different things. Mm.
0: No, well, I think, look, Tim, I really appreciate you coming in today and talking about these different vehicles. It's been fantastic. And I think that, um, you know, with if you don't want to get bogged down in the day-to-day stock picking side of it, but you... You, you certainly enjoy, you know, you've got to get invested in the share market, particularly in this day and age in a low interest rate world, you want to grow your money for the future, you need diversification, you want to do it cost effectively. Um, and administratively, you don't want a nightmare too, because I think we didn't really man- really talk about that. But administratively, these things are pretty easy to look after whereas if you had a portfolio of 14 stocks and you're getting dividends from 14 and capital gains tax records from 14 and so on it could prove to be there's a lot to do yes. and yep. and if you're trying to simplify your administration these types of funds um, are pretty useful yeah.
1: so I think I think ultimately step 1 is what's the strategy you want to follow yep and then step 2 becomes what which do we product do to use yeah. that's the most important part um mm. I, I wouldn't be like Okay, I'm going to use a lick and what what can I do? Do yep. it the other way around. Yeah,
0: no, I think it's great advice. Um, Tim, thanks for joining us today. It's been great to chat to you as usual um, and uh, we look forward to catching up with everyone on the podcast soon.
1: Fantastic.